Chapter 14 of A Group of Famous Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Group of Famous Women by Edith Horton. Susan B. Anthony. 1820-1906. through 1906. That one who breaks the way with tears, many shall follow with a song. Among those who believed that in certain lines women can do as valuable work as man was Susan B. Anthony. During her long, busy life of 86 years, she protested against the injustice done to women on the part of society. It has been truly said that a woman's place is in the home, and it is true that most women prefer home life, yet does not everyone know that in numerous instances women are compelled to earn their own living, and often in addition to support their brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers? Why then, thought Miss Anthony, should laws be such as to prevent women from having the same opportunities as men in the business world? This line of thought was early forced upon her. Born on the 15th of February, 1820, in South Adams, Massachusetts, of Quaker ancestry, she received a liberal education from her father. Mr. Anthony being a well-to-do merchant, it was not supposed that his daughters would ever be obliged to support themselves, but he believed that girls as well as boys should be fitted to do so if the necessity arose. The wisdom of Mr. Anthony's course early became apparent, for when Susan was seventeen years of age, he failed in business, and his daughters were able to assist him to retrieve his fortunes. Susan began to teach in a Quaker family, receiving the sum of one dollar a week in board. Later she taught in the public schools of Rochester, to which place the family had removed. Here she received a salary of $8 a month for the same work for which men were paid 25 and $30. It was this injustice which first led her to speak in public. At a meeting of the New York State Teachers Association, she petitions the superintendent for equal pay with men, but notwithstanding the fact that her work was admitted to be entirely satisfactory, her petition was refused on the ground that she was a woman. Miss Anthony worked for years trying to bring the wages of women workers up to those of men, and although she did not succeed in accomplishing her desire, still by her efforts the general standing of women was greatly improved. She continued to teach until 1852, but all the while she was taking a keen interest in every reform movement. The more she studied and pondered over the condition of women, the stronger grew her conviction that they would never receive proper pay or recognition, never be able to do the work God intended them to do in the world, unless they should be given equal political rights with man. Miss Anthony did not at first advocate full suffrage for women. At that period it appeared a thing quite impossible for them to obtain. Wisely she worked for what she believed was within the range of possibility to secure. She was much interested in the temperance movement and spoke frequently in public for that cause. It happened one day that the sons of temperance invited the daughters of temperance to their convention at Albany. The daughters accepted the invitation and attended, but the sons would not allow them to speak, which so angered Miss Anthony and some other women that they left the hall and held a meeting of their own outside. Out of this episode grew the Women's New York State Temperance Society, founded in 1852, and afterward developing into the Women's Christian Temperance Union. By this time, Miss Anthony was well known as a lecturer, but when she actually called a convention of women at Albany to urge the public to recognize the wrongs and demand the rights of her sex, considerable comment followed. In the sixth decade of the 19th century, women had not become so active in public affairs that one of them could call a convention and the general public take no notice. 
The right to vote on educational questions was at length granted women in New York State, and the credit for this is due to Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Caddy Stanton. Miss Anthony's friendship with Mrs. Stanton started her in new fields of action. Mrs. Stanton's husband was a lawyer and journalist who had been a student in Lane Theological Seminary. A noted abolitionist, he went as a delegate to the World's Anti-Slavery Convention in London. Mrs. Stanton accompanied him, meeting there Lucretia Mott, who was the sole woman delegate. These two women called their first women's rights convention at Seneca Falls in 1848. Though Miss Anthony did not attend this meeting, she later became a complete convert, being already headed in the direction of women's political and social emancipation. As soon as Miss Anthony became convinced that only through the use of the ballot could women succeed in obtaining the same rights in the business world as men, she entered the heart and soul into the work of securing it, going to many cities of the North and the South to lecture, often speaking five or six times a week. Her platform manner was direct, straightforward, and convincing, her good humor unfailing, her quickness to see and grasp an opportunity for retort noteworthy. In 1860, the New York legislator passed a bill giving to married women the possession of their earnings and the guardianship of their children. This was largely due to Miss Anthony's exertions. For many years, she had kept up a constant agitation on the injustice of depriving women of these fundamental rights. Belonging to the Abolition Party, she had worked during the war with the Women's Loyal Legion for the Abolition of Slavery. In 1867, Mrs. Stanton, Lucy Stone, and Susan B. Anthony went to Kansas in the interests of women's suffrage. There, the three women secured 9,000 votes in favor of the cause. Their work, however, had no immediately visible effect. But today, 45 years later, women in that state enjoy the privilege of the ballot. As a citizen of Rochester wishing to test her right to the suffrage, she voted at the national election of 1872. For so doing, she was arrested, tried, and fined $100 in costs. With her characteristic defiance of injustice, Miss Anthony refused to pay the fine, which to this day remains unpaid. Beloved by her co-workers, to strangers Miss Anthony appeared stern and uncompromising, yet all her friends testified to her lovable qualities and generous nature. Mrs. Stanton, her intimate friend for 18 years, said of her, she is earnest, unselfish, and as true to principle as the needle to the pole. I have never known her to do or say a mean or narrow thing. She is entirely above that petty envy and jealousy that marred the character of so many otherwise good women. Miss Anthony herself said, My work is like subsoil plowing, preparing the way for others to perfect. But the last eight years of her long life, in which she worked constantly and achieved much, must have given her the satisfaction of knowing that all the subsoil plowing had not been in vain. Her constancy in keeping the idea of votes for women before the public won many over to the cause and paved the way for the partial victory of today. At present, women have the privilege of the ballot in ten states of the Union, California, Colorado, Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, Washington, Arizona, Oregon, Kansas, and Michigan. It is clear that the question of women's suffrage has ceased to be a mere matter of academic discussion and that it is a very practical and even vital issue today. For years, Miss Anthony endured cruel misrepresentation and ridicule. Now she is acknowledged to have been a woman of splendid intellect and wonderful courage who devoted her life to the betterment of humanity. To her co-workers, she was always Aunt Susan, and when her last illness came, there were many loving friends to care for her. 
The Reverend Anna Howard Shaw was with her when she died at Rochester, March 16, 1906. She says, Miss Anthony died with calmness and courage. She spent her life in making other women freer and happier. End of Susan B. Anthony